Hello and welcome to House of Wine, the podcast. This podcast will help you deepen your intimate life with God, give you practical insight in how to develop a rhythm of prayer, and finally ground your journey in a revelatory discovery of the scripture. Thanks for joining me. This is the second season of the podcast. And in this season, we're going to focus specifically on life fermentation. That is, how do we take the various aspects of our life and practically immerse them in this central unifying focus of being deeply and intimately intoxicated in the presence of God. I'm recording it on Zoom as well. Cool. So um, welcome, Taylor to the show and it's really it's really awesome to have you man and um i've been looking forward to this podcast actually um i feel like there's there's questions that i've had just sitting in my spirit for a while that um i'm looking forward to just processing with you um and but why don't you why don't you just start off by um just sharing a bit of your journey and your background like your journey with the lord and and sort of where you've come from and and obviously just as brief or as long as you'd like to kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So, oh man. Um, I guess I'll, I'll definitely give the quick, the quicker version. Um, when I was 19, uh, I had like a spiritual encounter with Jesus and it woke me up spiritually, uh, or 20, no, 19. And, um, I grew up evangelical, American, Christian, um, you know, definitely nothing too crazy, spiritual or super interesting. Um, my mom is Jewish, and so I had like some Jewish awareness and, you know, of that, you know, menorah stuff in the house, my grandma, you know, people talking about stuff that they used to do, but they don't do anymore. My Jewish side of the family pretty much went non-religious. Um but I grew up because my mom converted. Um, my mom became a Christian when she was in her early 20s or whatever, late teens. And so I grew up in like Christian home, basically. Um, when I was, yeah, 19, I had a spiritual encounter. And um, I basically just kind of went headfirst into different sorts of Christian spirituality. I mean, I just went headfirst into charismatic stuff because I didn't... Um, I didn't know, like, that was pretty much all I knew what, that there was something like out there, like, you know, that people were exploring things spiritually. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, when I was, when I was 20, uh, like again, like a couple weeks after I had this encounter with Christ, uh, I was in my bedroom by myself. I just started breathing out and started praying in tongues by myself. Didn't grow up charismatic, didn't know anything about it. Never been to a charismatic church. Um, so it was very bizarre. Uh, there was a lot of ecstasy and just, it was a very transformative experience, but then it was like, Oh, okay. Oh, there's other people that are doing this as I was Googling things. Um, <laughs> and so I joined, yeah. So I like, you know, went explored, I, I went up to Bethel, you know, like 12 years ago for the first time or whatever it was. Uh, and, um, I was like, okay, this is really cool. And, and I got involved in different ministries and, um, yeah, pretty much just went head first in a lot of stuff, and it was good. It developed it developed a lot of my gifting. Um, you know, woke me up, allowed me to 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 operate in the prophetic and um, different things that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise. Just you know, it, a lot of things unlocked for me when I was nineteen, but it just it was like the outflow for a lot of the the different movement that the spirit was wanting to do inside of me. Um, and um, along that work journey, um, I, I came across mystical Christianity. Um, you know, I, I, I learned about this guy named Ian Clayton, like about 10 years ago. Um, I kind of got in, involved in, and listened to a lot of his stuff um, for, for a couple of years, for like a couple of years, like two years, um, while also still very, being very much involved in like charismatic Christianity and stuff. And then... Um, I found um, my teacher who, who has uh, been my rabbi and teacher for the last seven, eight years, Dr. O, who uh, is like a Jewish Christian mystic, 
So definitely, I was on like a Jewish journey as well, like trying to figure out more of my roots. Um, I was in an exploration phase with that as well. And so I did a lot of integration, a lot of exploration, a lot of diving deep into Judaism, um, you know, learning how, you know, learning some Hebrew, learning, uh, and then just learning different mystical Jewish practices and really getting an understanding of, of the ancient Israelite um, techniques that eventually, you know, morphed themselves into the early rabbinic period and then into what we consider to be Judaism today. Um, so, so how did, how did I, you, um, how, how did you meet Dr. O? How, how did you kind of get connected with him? Um, he was actually, he showed up to this church I was at and he sat in the back and, um, we were having like Q and A that night and our pastor, uh, he like, um, he was a great pastor, but definitely didn't know about certain things that he was talking about. And the, a question came up and he definitely pastor at the time he, he didn't he didn't know exactly what the answer was and dr o like was like oh yeah blah 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 blah, blah. and he said something and i just felt the essence and the energy behind what he said and i was like whoa okay this guy who is this guy this is really interesting um and so i went and talked to him like we would have like this dinner between breaks and um uh and so I just went and we just like chatted and asked him questions. I just picked his brain for like an hour straight. And I was like, wow, this guy's crazy. And so at that time, um, you know, he was just really like, he was known within like African-American churches, um, but not really known within broader white charismatic Christianity um, at all. And, um, so he was just, he had just recently moved to Venice like a year or two prior to that. Um, cause I'm in Los Angeles or just South of Los Angeles. And, um, he, uh, uh, so I, I just started going over there and then bang, it was just like instant connection. Um, you know, and, um, yeah, that's just, that's pretty much it. And, uh, definitely, um, started a, a, a new journey from there. And then along that way, um, I was exploring for the past like eight years. Well, and then at that time, I started getting into meditation. So about like eight, nine years ago. And I started really practicing and I started um, exploring different types of Christian stuff. Although I didn't really start to really, really dive deep into that until about five years ago. Um, because it was a lot of work for me to find a lot. Um uh, and I, I spent a lot of years just reading, buying books, just trying to find what a lot of church fathers and, and, um, mystics wrote on a lot of stuff. And the thing is, I mean, as, as sure as you know, as well, it was read stuff like that's great, but also at the same time, one of the, one of the issues with, um, coming into Christian literature, especially mystical literature for a lot of Westerners is that, most of the literature is written from people that live in an ascetic community or an ascetic lifestyle. So you are a monk. Um, you know you've you've renounced your family. You live in the caves. You you don't live in society. Um, and so you know there's a lot of language built around their experiences and their techniques, but the language is built around a monastic ascetic lifestyle. Mm. So for someone like myself who isn't a monastic who's married um and you know quote lives in the world um you know it, it was tough to 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 find and to bring things into exploration but in that process um i did find gold nuggets along the way but also at the same time the holy spirit and uh and let's just call them cloud of witnesses were training me and showing me different things. Um, and while at the same time I was learning different ancient Israelite stuff and just kind of bringing different things together and trying to get an understanding of different techniques and practices, but, but really, um, learning how to, to, to become a deep practitioner um, with the Holy Spirit and in my and within a Christian um, worldview and with a Christian lens and, and Christocentric, however you want to call it, 
um, that, you know, that was a big part of my journey for the last seven, eight years. And then to be really honest with you, like I just basically quietly um, served, um, helped stuff, did some things for people quietly on the side. And basically in a way, funnily, like I was working, but also in a sense, spiritually kind of living in the cave for the past seven years, eight years. Um, I did everything privately and, and, and my, my daily practice for the last four years has been pretty intense. Um, like I'd usually get in between 30 minutes to an hour a day in meditation. Um, some days mm-hmm. up to four hours or whatever, just depending. Um, but, um, there along, along the way and in this, in and, and in this part of this journey, um, Well, okay, yeah. Well, along the way and a part of this journey, um, you know, I had to discover and had to find um, new ways to interact with my body and new ways to interact with my soul and new ways to integrate the spirit into these various regions that we carry within ourselves and how they outflow within themselves into the world. Um, cause you know, again, one of the things that you do come across in a lot of Christian literature is, is a lot of negative language, either towards the soul or towards the body. Um, and there's a, there's definitely a reason. I, I definitely believe there's a certain reason why some of these great mystics wrote according to that. But I do think that some of that language is an old wineskin. And although they have a real, it has a real deep function and a purpose to it for certain ascetic practices um, in our day and age and what we're doing and what the spirits are bringing upon the earth and how we're evolving with the spirit, that language is going to be outdated because we have to integrate yeah. the entire being. Um, yeah, 100%, man. Yeah. So, um, with that, but yeah, so then this last year around, well, last year, actually a year ago, in November, I launched Ruach, um, R-O-A-K-H.com, where I teach weekly, I do a weekly Christian meditation every Tuesday, and um, just training people to go in and to build the practice and to give them a space to where like, you know, everyone has busy lives, um, but to give people a space to... Like, hey, if you had a busy week, you know, like a half an hour at this time every week, you can come and meet. Um, or, you know, it's all recorded or you, you you listen to it on your lunch break or something. I have tons of people that do stuff like that. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so, also, I wrote a book. I should have brought it up here. It's called A Beginner's Guide to Christian Meditation. You can check it out on Amazon. Um, cool. Yeah, and we'll, I go, we'll chuck all that stuff. We'll chuck all that stuff in the show notes as well so that people can can get access to all of it. So. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I launched, or I launched, or whatever you want to call it, the book dropped um, in the spring of this year. And, uh, you know, I started writing it before COVID, so it was just like really perfect timing with everything. Um, but yeah, it, you know, going into the historical roots of Christian meditation, going into the theological roots of Christian meditation, going into the different practices and ways in which the Christian faith has um, done Christian, has done meditation, and then how it's also, in some parts, I also talk about how how it's a continuation of some Jewish practices, ancient Israelite practices that, uh, you know, pre-existed um, Christianity, you know, at least five or six, seven hundred years prior. Um, so, wow. the book kind of goes into a lot of those different things and to kind of kind of to take away the taboo for whatever reason that's grown over the word meditation within Western Christianity um, and to kind of sure. deconstruct some yeah, of that just, just on, uncomfortability. Yeah, uh, just on that, um, I, I there definitely is a bit of a, a, a stigma attached to the word meditation. And, and I think um, it seems as though some of that comes just from you know, modern Western uh, Christianity, you know, evangelical Christianity or or whatever, and just maybe an unfamiliarity with the roots of faith um, and some of the history of faith. And um, just 
touching on what you're saying in terms of Judaism, like that Christianity was actually, the birth of Christianity was actually in the East. And um, it was not an offshoot, but in a way an offshoot of an existing, at least its heritage is in a religious practice called Judaism. And I, I remember finding the scripture in Genesis and it said, it's just this like one verse that said, and Isaac went into the field to meditate. And I had this thought like, what, what did meditation look, look like to him? Because like he didn't, he didn't like, he wasn't a part of Bethel church or he wasn't like, you know, like he didn't, he didn't know soaking prayer or, or whatever. Um, and he also wasn't part of even, you know, like, um, more ancient Christian practices of, of monastic practices or the desert fathers or whatever. So I wondered like, what did that look like to him? And, um, I feel like, yeah. Do you have any insight into, um, some of those earlier Judaism practices within Judaism, um, and what they looked like? Yeah. So, I mean, I admit I'm definitely putting on my speculative cap right now. Um, definitely there, there's, there's things that we can draw from, from the text and from historical data for sure. Uh, when I mean the text, like the biblical text, um, but again, I'm still in a, in a speculative zone to some degree. But what we know is, you know, according to like what we have in the Psalms, what we have uh, in Ezekiel, and even stuff that we have in um, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, talking about like Saul prophesying in the school of prophets um, and all those different things that were happening at that time in ancient Israelite uh, that his that historical time in ancient. Uh, historic in ancient Israelite history with the northern and southern kingdoms, there were these prophetic schools, um, and it's very clear that these prophetic schools were teaching techniques for altered states. Just put it that way. Um, you know, Saul, uh, you know, goes into an altered state, and that's very clear from the text. And they say, "Wow, look at him! He's prophesying with them, and he's out of his mind." Um, and so there's this, there are these processes that they were teaching at the time that, um, that our little snippets of it make their way into Psalms. Um, the unfortunate thing obviously is their guidebook on ABC one, two, three, you know, isn't written down. It was probably most likely all oral tradition. It was passed down verbally. Um, and so what we have in the Psalms are different types of contemplative and meditational prayer. So when you read Psalms, you know, you'll see like meditate on the Lord or, uh, you know, think on the Lord's, you know, think on the Lord's goodness, think on the Lord's name, da, 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 or meditate and meditate. Um, but you're reading in the English, right? So when you drop down one level into the Hebrew where, you know, the original language of the text, um, you got a whole treasure trove of words um, that are all being translated the same thing, either meditate or to think on, whatever. Uh, but each of these Hebrew words have very distinct functions and different meanings that carried within them different practices um, to the Hebrew speaker. So, uh, for instance, um, you know, one of the words is like haga, uh, there's haga, siak, um, hitbonen, that I talk about in my book, um, you know, and each of them are different ways in which we can meditate. So, for instance, um, and and I will and I will I, I will say this really quickly. When I say meditation, I define meditation as something done with conscious intention. Sure. So, um, eating can be a meditation. Walking can be a meditation. Working can be a meditation. Um, now, obviously, there's the sitting down and contemplating God, and that what we call what we think of as spiritual meditation. Obviously, there's that function um, of meditation. Uh, but meditation, when I'm using it, is also a very broad broad term. But and the Psalms specifically. Um, 
you know, they're, they're specifically telling you to focus in on an aspect of the divine nature, right? So like, like the Haggas, focus in on a specific aspect of the name of God and actually focus in your mind on it for like half an hour to 45 minutes. Like, don't just say, you know, um, you know, yod heh vav rafa or Elohim, you know, actually feel what Elohim feels like to your soul and to your body as you contemplate it. Let it ruminate mm. within your being. Let it actually shift you and sit on it. Mm. And holding that presence of awareness and holding that presence of concentration shifts your entire energetic structure to allow it to open up to the work of the spirit and then begins to draw down the energy that you're seeking in that name. That's really cool, man. So it's like, it's almost like um, it's priming. Would you say that's like a priming practice or um, conditioning yourself, orienting yourself toward or, or um, you know, toward the, the, the character and the nature of God? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, it, it's, it's like, it, it, it is. It's like priming. Um, and I mean, that's just only one, that's just one dimension, but yeah, that's in that aspect it is. Um, and it's about creating a communion and a union with this signature of the divine that's coming out, um, out of Hashem that uh, reinforcing the very thing that um, your heart is seeking. So for instance, uh, they so like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One of the names that they were referred to to Hashem as as uh, they they referred to him a lot of times as um, um, El Shaddai. Um, so um, obviously with post Moses, you got more of a focus on Yod Hey Vav Hey, uh, um, and that whole thing, but the northern kingdoms of Israel, and then you know, prior to to some some stuff, there was a lot more focus on like the Elohim, the El Shaddai, and that sort of um, genre of names. Um, but El Shaddai is a very specific function, even though we translate it in English as Almighty. Um, it it actually means the many-breasted one, so mm. it has a very nurturing. Um, function to the name and let's call it almost like i don't want to say it is but i'm going to use this word it, it, it they were looking because what are abraham isaac and jacob looking for they're looking for a seed they're looking to create a nation they're looking for fertility so they're calling down the name of hashem that draws down that power that generates that seed that they were looking for to create a nation well so, um, these names have very specific usages and they have, um, but, you know, a lot of times in Christianity, especially charismatic Christianity that, that we know, like there's very much like a microwave tendency where we want things really fast. We want it right now. We don't want to put in the work and even the word work triggers people because they're like, I know I'm perfect in Christ. I don't need to do any work. Um, totally. But the reality is, is... Anything in life that you want or you want to transform requires energy from yourself. Like, I, you know, I use this example sometimes is like Kobe Bryant was an incredible athlete, but he still put in tons of effort or Michael Jordan was an incredible athlete, but he still practiced really hard at basketball and became the best at it. Like, yeah. Work itself allows actually for more of the energy to draw down and it actually allows you to shift what you're looking to shift in your life. But it well, does take... It, <laughs> I'm just getting waves of the presence of God just coming in to my office right now. So keep going. Yeah, so 
Um, the the way that we the way that we work with the spirit and and the like in the time like look at Jesus right so even Jesus after a long day he went up into the mountain and prayed at night like cuz you have to build up your energy you have to re you, there there's a level of of recommunion reconstitution of certain things especially when you're doing spiritual work and um the weird part it's really is, good, is bro. it's really this topic I, w- I was just gonna say this topic um it seems to be coming coming up a lot um recently in conversations that i'm having even with arun we touched on it briefly you know like i think it's two peter one says make every effort to supplement your faith you know with virtue virtue with knowledge knowledge of self-control and there's this constant exhortation um, to exercise or to partner with grace through the giving over of your own will. And it seems that like there's a lot of um, maybe ignorance around the fact that we we have subconscious belief systems and programs that are pulling on our energy or exercising our energy sometimes apart from our own conscious will because it's exactly. the infrastructure of belief that we've been conditioned into and so yeah. when people talk about grace they go like i'm i'm perfect and uh, i'm complete in christ and i don't have to do anything and so it can conjure up this idea that we're like now we just sit on the couch and what watch netflix but it's like sometimes the fact that um, we're prone to a lesser sense of satisfaction or an easy sense of satisfaction in something like a, a Netflix binge is because we have these infrastructure of belief that's actually robbing us from uh, a more complete or a deeper sense of satisfaction that comes from having a well-cultivated interior life. So um, I'm really, I, I, I'm really glad you mentioned that. I feel like it's um, it's so relevant to to where we're heading as well in terms of the body of Christ and. Um, I think even St. Bernard says something about like, you know, he had a rigorous practice when he first, um, you know, brought reform to the Benedictine. I think it was the Benedictine monks and he it was an offshoot called the Cistercian monks. Um, and I know when he first brought reform, people struggled with how rigorous his ascetic practice was. And when you read his book, he talks about it being, um, his practice was about working with grace. It was about working with the existing flow or life energy of the spirit that's already in operation. It's us um, recollecting ourselves and then redistributing that energy unto the the movement of the spirit. So yeah. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, that's exactly it. And, and um, you know, a lot of times people will come to me and they'll ask me like, oh, you know, how, how do I how do I, you know, have a deeper relationship with God or, Hey, how do I leave my body and go into this, the heavens or whatever, like Paul did. And at the end of the day, it requires, um, a certain level of self-sacrifice, meaning you're taking a part of the time of your energy of your day and your time, and you're sitting down and you're consciously connecting with Hashem and um, not for two seconds, not for five seconds, although that's fine. But like if you actually sit down and work with it for longer than let's say five minutes a day, you'll start to see things shift and open up in your life. But it does require, um, it does require a certain level of, of time sacrifice. That's awesome. What what would you say, like, can you comment on a little bit, like, there seems to be sometimes a ingrained fear around um, mysticism. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. it's why it seems to, it has stigma, it has stigma attached to it, or it's like conjures up images of like esoteric practices or something like that, um, or even witchcraft, you know, to some people. Um, and yeah, so there's like this ingrained fear Um and sometimes it's like, you know, people, when they're honest, they, they do want to have altered states and out-of-body experiences and transcendent encounters because I think we're wired for it. It's why people go to theme parks and things like that. Like the Lord yeah. has built that into our nature and, and 
and life is meant to be ecstatic and, and full of bliss, I believe anyway. Um, but yeah, like what, what do you think, what do you think that is that, that seems to um, cause fear with people? Um, yeah, I think, well, the word mysticism itself is a trigger for people. Um, you know, they, for whatever reason, you know, different people have different associations with the word. They think their mind straight goes to the occult, um, because, you know, mystical or whatever. And they think of, you know, maybe witches or some sort of like dark spiritual practice, um, which, you know, is unfortunate because it has nothing to do with the word mysticism or what mysticism is about. Um, that's number one. And number two, um, Another thing like you're talking about, yeah, there's, there seems to be a, a fear of spirituality because at least from what I've noticed with people, usually the people that are the most afraid with mysticism are the people that are some of the most controlling people. Um, and so they want to have everything in a tight, neat, little three-dimensional box. And if you bring in mysticism, you're, you're bringing in, you're expanding their box, you're expanding um, their, their system of control that they feel like they have over God and subconsciously, I don't think a lot of it's conscious, but it's a fear of the unknown. It's a fear of, of, of losing mm. control as people say, like they're, they won't have control. Um, and also people have been pre-programmed and pre-wired to think that, um, yeah, they've just been programmed to think that uh, spirituality for a lot of people in the church to say that Christian spirituality is evil or demonic and that it's not biblical, uh, which is crazy because the whole Bible is full of spiritual experiences and encounters. So it's just very counterintuitive. But you know, the Protestant the Protestant movement, um, you know, post Enlightenment, you know, uh, you know. There were a lot of Protestant movements that just completely exiled the spirit and exiled all spirituality, especially, um, you know, a lot of churches today that, you know, are, you know, can't even be open to the gifts. And in that same way, you know, like they, there's this, um, there's this complete fear and this, and this feeling of righteous. Uh, righteous seniority to say that, no, we have a right because we have this theological system construct that we've created because X, Y, and Z. And so our logic yeah. supersedes the spirit. And so it's this whole mental game that they're creating. But the reality is, is, is those churches and that system is breaking down so fast um, that fundamentalist uh, conservative um and I don't mean conservative politically, I mean conservative in the sense of not being open to the spirit in any sense. But that that whole system is um, it is starting to fall apart. And as older generations, you know, pass away with it, um, you know, it's going to be looked at pretty ridiculous over the next 100 to 200 years um, as the human begins to evolve and change, um, as the spirits are doing the work, um, with it. So. What, what is, what is the body of Christ look like to you? Um, the future body of Christ. I mean, that's I guess a big, it depends that's on a broad, which, it's a broad it's question. It's a broad question because like, it's which, yeah. yeah, how far in the future, which future. Um, I think in terms of, let's say, 100 years out, right? Um, the same way that, like, I'll just put it this way. 100 years ago, chances are, you know, your great-great-grandparents or your great-great-great-grandparents, their Christianity you know, if they saw your Christianity today, they would be a lot of it would be unrecognizable to them, and in a lot of ways, including digital stuff, all the way to your own ideas. Um, it's going to be that way a hundred years looking forward. Um, the biggest thing is that um, 
like what we're doing now, mis- uh, meditational practices, having real techniques and practices and having this sort of uh, lifestyle of, of spiritual practice and work is going to radically reform Christianity from its foundation to its absolute manifestation because mystical insights are insights that are experienced within the Holy Spirit within 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 um, experiences that transcend our normal 3d dimensional um, yeah. reality they will, begin to teach us and they are beginning to teach us and show us what it actually means to be a christian on this planet and how we are supposed to engage our fellow humans across all traditions all colors all races whatever you want to call it um and there's going to be a renewal of a communal and interconnect a new a renewal in a sense of the interconnectedness that we have with one another and the planet and that is going to completely reshape how we do christianity that's awesome Um, and how and how we treat the other it's awesome man uh i i really agree with you um it, it feels like, yeah, the, the more we evolve in that direction, the more dualisms um, will start to, I don't know, I guess like crumble away and we'll realize like sometimes I just walk around at night, you know, and like part of my meditative practice is like just being mindful, like walking around at night and just staring at a tree. You know, it sounds like kooky, but like I, it's like you stare at a tree for long enough and you consider it and you engage with it and it's like, Man, we live in a mystical reality. Like even this plane of, of reality, the material exactly. plane is is like mind blowing, you know. And and it's like it's right in front of us. So there's something about um, perception that seems to be so vitally important. And um, I think what you're saying, the develop of practices facilitate the altering of perception unto you know living a trans or moving unto transfiguration, I guess, and and the full manifestation of sonship. Etc. Etc. I'd love to ask you about um, about alternative meditative practices. I, I know, like, it's a good it's a good thing to reference history, and it's a good thing to um, look to our roots to understand the progression that we've been on in terms of tradition in in within the Christian faith. Um, but what is your what is your perspective on say? practices that may be from an eastern tradition say like a yogic practice or a um a um a sufi practice or other modalities of of meditation and um and the usage of those things and and from a christ from a christocentric point of view because i i a speculation that i've had and i i could be totally wrong on this maybe you would know more about this but like take for example the desert fathers you read the desert fathers you read like evagrius and you read like um you know the life of saint anthony and and some of these dudes and some of these practices are you know like divided attention or witness or mindfulness practices and and you know even even the whole contemplative prayer the world of contemplative prayer a lot of it seems to be built around that it's simple breath awareness or um mantra you know but it's like prayer word or whatever um, is is it is there a potential that some of those practices were Eastern practices that were applied to a Christocentric perspective? And and I guess what is your thought in general about um, the neutrality of practice? And and is it can we integrate some of these things? Yeah, um, two really really good questions. Um, Well, it depends on how far back you want to take the practices, but, um, you know, let's say in in ancient Greece and in Egypt, uh, these practices were definitely there and they're apparent in texts. Um, In in ancient Greece, they called it theoria, 
which was basically the the practice of philosophy, which was like mindful f- philosophical lifestyle. Um, and uh, because of wars and expansions, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people have a, have a very naive view of is the ancient world. The ancient world, there was tons of cross-pollination. Um, you know, Judaism itself wasn't something that was completely isolated. It took ideas from neighboring cultures and peoples that they were uh, encaptured by or that they took out or whatever. There's this, there is this, you know, like we are all bees, like there is going to be cross-pollination across the board with ideas. So, uh, but yeah, so the practices definitely at least go back to Greece, um, to ancient Egypt, and then of course ancient Israel, uh, and then they were obviously there around, and obviously time of Christ, Christ Himself. Um, and what I mean by practices is I don't I don't necessarily mean that you know the ancient Greeks were you know calling on El Shaddai, but what I mean by that is you know concentrating your mind. And you and you may say, okay, well then that means it's of the devil because the ancient Greeks did it. Um, no, again, just because something's done by a group of people not according to your religion doesn't mean for you to throw it out. It's like you know, people will come to me and they say mm. like, oh, yeah, well, the occult uses, uh, uh, you know, ancient Jewish mysticism for some of their stuff. And so it should be all thrown away in trash. And I say, yeah, I also hear that occultists breathe and eat food. So should we throw that away, too? Um, you know, like these listen are to music. Yeah. Or listen to music or whatever. Like, yeah. um, you know, uh there are these so so our practices to formulate and bring it into your second question too are these practices are in themselves fundamentally neutral the techniques themselves are fundamentally neutral what i mean by that i mean you know being able to concentrate let's say and focusing your your mind on a rock or a tree like you did um anyone can do that um and that within itself is fundamentally neutral, where it becomes, quote, Christian, or when we start moving into the Christian sphere, is when we actually start concentrating on Christ, on the energy and life of Jesus Christ, on the Holy Spirit, working with the archangels, working with the, the cloud of witnesses, whatever you want, you know, however you want to put that, you know, using these and, and tuning into the the let's call it the hyperdimensional um new jerusalem which is the body of christ being birthed into our reality and focusing in on that presence as it begins to shape our consciousness and shape our awareness like you, you know exactly you perfectly described which will then shape our perception which will then allow us to re-encounter the world according to that newly acquired perception Man, that is unbelievably good. What you just articulated. I'm like, um, I'm really enjoying myself on this. <laughs> it's really, really good stuff, man. Like, I love it. And can you just quickly, we'll put it in the show notes. Like, I'd love to, What what is your background in um, in terms of study and things like that? Like, I, I, I have a vague memory of a room mentioning to me that, um, yeah, I have my I have my master's in religion and philosophy from Claremont School of Theology. Um, uh, studied intercultural studies. Uh, have a minor in biblical studies. You know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I my master's was pretty heavy duty. Um, yeah, I, my master's was focused on basically mystical experiences and and the the mystical practices within Christianity, but then also its theological implications. Um, and so I can go down the theolo- the theological route if I want to, um, but um, you know I, I'm I'm really interested in the transformation of consciousness, and that was my deep exploration in seminary. Um, the school that I went to, Claremont. Um, is an amazing school. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing seminary. I mean, it's 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 a super open um, seminary, and they have some incredible professors there. I mean, literally people that are talking about stuff that a hundred years out in the future. Um, 
And there are obviously seminaries where things are like, you know, pretty dead and whatever, but like this was a place that was like um, deeply mystical in its theological explorations. Um, And so it was a perfect place for me and allowed me to to, uh, look at things and to write papers on things and to explore things that I probably couldn't have at an ultra conservative um, seminary. Um, so yeah, it was a beautiful experience and, and yeah, I, I graduated like two years ago. Um, so cool, man. I just yeah. feel like it's, um, just to honor, to honor the, the thoroughness of your study and, and just for people to understand like that you're not just, um, you're not just guessing, you know, like as much as, yeah, there's always speculation, you have a background in, in really thoroughly studying this stuff out. So I feel like that will help yeah. just put some weight on, on what you're talking about, you know? And I'm also like a certified meditation and mindfulness instructor and all that. I've gone through certifications and stuff as well. So it's awesome. Um, it's cool. I'd love to um, ask you about briefly on breath breath practice, and um, mm-hmm. and then we can maybe talk a little bit about as well what practices that you use most or what your practice looks like. Um, and, and really to break that down if you're comfortable with that. Um, but I, I'd love to hear, like, it seems like, um, you know, breath work is becoming, I mean, who knows if something's actually a trend or not because of how social media works, but, um, it seems like, um, the usage of breath is such a powerful, um, modality and it's so intrinsic to even what we are, what we are as, as um, energetic beings, you know, Um, and breath seems to shift consciousness so um, effectively when we tap into it. Um, Is there, have you found in your studies a, a breath practice within Christianity? I, I know I like, I'm aware of contemplative practice and, and, noticing the breath you know like just witnessing and things like that but in terms of the more vigorous practices more conscious practices um have you found things like that within judaism or within christianity in terms of just breath work in general yeah yeah in judaism there's a lot of stuff on breath work breath work a lot 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 like a lot um in christianity itself um you know there definitely isn't like you know is probably you know as well there's definitely not like you know saint josiah wrote a treatise on the you know breath work practices in the third fourth century or something um but there are clues and there are things that you can pick out like you know in the stories of the desert monastics or here and there um with different saints or uh you know different great men of the and women of the faith that I've written on. Um, and to be really honest, I think a lot of the breathwork practices were kept secret and safe within monastic heritages. Um, I think that was part of your initiation of joining the, joining those communities. Um, and it's evident within their um, chantings. Um, and a lot of their vocalizations of what they do every day. Um, and is also, it is there within certain texts. I think the philo, uh, philo Colia, which is, uh, I think a text from like the 13th century that was compiled. It's an Eastern Orthodox text. Um, there is a one specific breath work in there, um, and it's it's a four second breath uh, where you inhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds, and exhale for four seconds. Um, and um, so that is one that I have actually come across where they where they 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 actually I think they say four heartbeats. Um, and so there is something there, and and that again I was surprised they they put some of that stuff to pen to paper. But it's definitely evident in showing that a lot of this stuff was was orally practiced um, and orally transmitted and orally given down um, to from one generation to the next. Um, in Judaism, 
Um, breath work is a major component of the mystical practices. Um, in Genesis chapter two, you know, we have uh, in 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 Vavhe Elohim um, breathed into Adam the Nefesh Chaya, uh, uh, or he breathed into him uh, a Neshama, a breath, and he became Nefesh Chaya, a living soul. Um, which all of those words, Nefesh, Neshama, Chaya, they all have resonances with breath. Um, and so, from the Jewish perspective, life begins with breath. Right, so the life of a human begins um, with the first breath, and um, breath itself is also synonymous with spirit. So ruach, um, which is what I call my, you know, my thing, um, also means breath, which is also the 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 word that we get for Holy Spirit, ruach hakadosh. Um, ruach meaning breath, and then hakadosh meaning you know the holy. Uh, so. Um, nefesh, neshama, chaya, ruach, um, all of these different aspects of the soul that are in the Jewish tradition that we see there in Genesis chapter 2 are all correlates of some degree of breath or wind. Um, and so, in the Jewish perspective, and I think you could also say this for sure within the ancient Christian perspective as well, is that breath, breath and spirit are synonymous with one another. And so, mm. um, so breath work is spirit work because our breath informs our body, which then creates the conscious experience that we're experiencing. So, if we shift our breath, we can shift our brain state, which then shifts our awareness and shifts our perception, which then shifts our experience of reality. You know, if you... A basic example of that would be, hey, if you stopped breathing and blacked out, you know, your 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 experience or perception is going to radically shift. Um, and it's all and it's all about you know what's in the breath, right? The oxygen that you know obviously is there, but it's that that because life is held in the breath. When you die. You give out your last breath and you give back your life. And so, life hmm. itself is held within the power and energy of the breath, which is why it was so intrinsically connected to spirit. And so, breath work That's itself awesome. is, is, um, is about hacking the body to hack our perception and to, and to really reprogram our DNA. It's awesome, man. It's really clear. Um, I think it's interesting that in, in the New Testament, um, the devil is called the prince of the power of the air. So there's something in in our understanding of like we are again we are energetic beings. Like we and 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 breath seems to like consciously shift us into an awareness of that because even our physical bodies are. 99.9999999% energy actually um, rather than matter um, and realizing that there's an element of like again just to to contextualize this on a whole other level is like and address some of the fear um, do, would you say it's accurate to say like it's about where your attention is as well you know like using a modality like that a conscious breathing or um, even you know the more forceful practices like um holotropic breath or whatever it is mm -hmm. is like um is the issue do you would you say that the issue is more about our awareness and what we're allowing to connect what we're connecting ourselves to on the energetic level versus the practice itself does that make sense like so if we recognize that the spirit even um down to like what you're saying, you know, the word ruach and, and all through the New Testament is is breath or wind. And if we're using a, 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 a practice like that to connect consciously to the spirit, there's a safety in that because of where our awareness and our focus is at, you know, like, would you say that's true or do you kind of get what I'm saying? I, I don't think I'm, I quite understand what you're saying. Could you re-ask it maybe one more time? 
Yeah, I think I, I just wanted to take it a step further in terms of addressing some of the fear okay. again. Like, and we have talked about it around practices like this. So it's like sometimes people look at a breath practice and they go, that's that's a shamanistic kind of practice. Ah, uh, I see. So therefore, therefore, it must be evil and it, it must be opening you up to all sorts of spirits, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Rather than like... Um, no, like if you, where you, where your awareness is, is actually what you'll be open to yeah. versus the practice itself. Exactly. hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. That's, 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 that's exactly it. I don't, I don't really that's need cool. to say anything else on that. Awesome. Um, man, I'd love, I'd love for you to maybe share three, three things, um, three practices even and, and get as specific as, as possible that um, have become part of your daily lifestyle in terms of, um, yeah, cu- cultivating s- your spiritual disciplines, etc. and your communion with the Lord. Uh, oh, man. Um, yeah, I'll, let me think of a couple off the top of my head because there's a lot. Um, I would say the most... The most uh, well, I'll give you, I'll give a couple of practices for people that are just starting out that I think would be really beneficial for them. Um, one of them is, um, you know, what we would consider probably to be like um, centering prayer or something along those lines, which is, you know, you sitting quietly and watching your thoughts pass by in your mind and just becoming the observer of your mind, but then um, quietly feeling your heart and allowing the Spirit's presence to to draw itself into your heart area, um, which basically allows you to reconfigure your brain and it allows you to reconfigure the energy systems in your body and where they're at because every, your your nervous system will quickly shift from the um, sympathetic to the parasympathetic um, nervous system will, will, will begin to qu- kick in and as a result all of your all of your meridians and everywhere in your body that's carrying energy will begin to open up which then allows the spirit and the soul to move and and allows you to pick up what is happening in your environment and what the spirit's doing around you. Um, another one, um, you know, is, uh, you know, very similar to that. And I think this is a good place to start because a lot of people are just very unaware that their minds are constantly going, that they're very, that they're, they have a hard time relaxing and resting. They're very restless. Like, you know, with my students, you know, one, I do a practice like every six weeks where I literally, we just sit in quiet contemplation. Like I don't do anything. I don't lead anything like in terms of like crazy visualizations or, you know, I'm entertaining them with my talking half the time leading them, guiding them. It's like, no, we're going to sit and I'm going to have you sit for half an hour quietly. Um, and for a lot of people, that's a, can be a very uncomfortable thing. Why? Because you're facing yourself, you're feeling your body, you're feeling your pains, you're feeling all of these things. But it's so important to begin to understand who you are and where you're at and being able to to, and the only way to know that is to actually take the time to sit back and observe yourself. And that allows then, when you're observing yourself, you're bringing your mind there. And by bringing your mind there, you're bringing energy there. And by bringing energy there, you're actually shifting that very thing. And you're partnering with the Holy Spirit's um, reconfiguration of where your being is at at that moment, just in silent prayer or in silent contemplative meditation. But the key to it... Um, the key to it is not just being completely passive. Observe your body, feel your body, feel where your heart's at, feel where your emotions are at. Um, scan yourself. Um, and, you know, if you want to do more of these or if you're interested, you know, again, check my book or, you know, check out my website or something. So That's good. Do you have any more like daily you know, practices that, 
I know sometimes like with spiritual disciplines, you, you know, you can have the set time of prayer mm-hmm. and this place of like cultivating and it's shifting your perception. It's altering your perception so that you can live more conscious, more transcendent, more aware as you go about your day. And so I know for myself, sometimes um, I, I, I lose track of like how many disciplines have actually become integrated into my daily um, state of being. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, is there any others in terms of like, even maybe around sleep is a topic that uh, I'm, I feel myself being drawn um, into, into understanding on a greater level. I'd love to hear anything that you have around um, developing a practice around sleep. Yeah. I mean, I will say that for a lot of like more advanced things, I try to keep those um, towards like one-on-one stuff or more private things um, just because I don't want to hand a Ferrari to someone when they're not necessary. Like, I don't want anyone, not that you would get, not that you would get destroyed, but again, like start with the basics. Like you're not going to shoot, you're not going to, you know, hit a hole in one until you learn how to grab a golf club and learn how to swing a golf club. Like the fundamentals, you know, ride with you all the way up to the top. Um, but in terms of sleep, yeah, there's a lot of different things that one can do. Um, the biggest thing is, or one of the most important things that you can do is, um, to try to stay awake as long as you can while you fall asleep. And that is a real discipline. If you can do that, you will have some crazy spiritual experiences. That is a major, major, major key. Stay away. It's a very paradox, but it's true. Uh, Watch yourself falling asleep. And try to stay awake and conscious through that process. No, it's like, what? No, but you you will begin to um, shift into other worlds. The Holy That's Spirit good. will take you on an adventure. Um, I'll put I think it that way. I like it, man. I think a Song of Songs says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Like, yeah. When you say awake, like you, you mean like um, conscious, I guess even, yes. you know, the first, your conscious the first mind discipline is you there. spoke about, yeah, that first discipline you spoke about almost um, it is pre- prepares you kind of to understand that dynamic of like, exactly. you can be conscious and awake and you can even be aware as you know the the um, melatonin is being secreted into your body, and your body is wanting to go drowsy. You can still be conscious and in observation of that, whilst your whole body is is sort of like falling asleep. Is that kind of what you're saying? Hundred percent. Yeah, that's really great. It's awesome, man. Um, I think we might leave it there. I feel like okay. um, you're a, yeah, you're a you're a wealth. Um, there's a treasure chest of um, precious delicacies that I can feel is definitely inside of you. And um, yeah, would love would love even to have you on again. But we can talk about that, you know, off off air and um, the potential of doing a part two. Um, but really appreciate you, man. Really appreciate what you're pioneering. And um, there's obviously, there's been a bit of a silent journey that you've been on for, for several years and whatever, but the relevance of it is, is um, you can feel the potency of it, the, um, the, sorry, my screen just cut out. Um, yeah, you can feel the relevance of your journey, especially it's timely for where we're at right now. And I think, um, yeah, so I just want to honor you, man, honor um, how thorough your process has been. It's very evident when you speak and, um, it, it provides a lot of, you've taken a lot of ground that I think people are going to really benefit from. So really appreciate you and, and honor your journey and your walk with the Lord. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can, we can catch up soon. And for people listening, um, they can obviously just like go on your website. Yeah. We'll put a whole bunch of details in the show notes and, um, to check out your book and where can they get your book? You said Amazon. Yeah. Amazon, anywhere that like you, I guess, buy books online in your country or whatever. It should be there. Cool. 
Yeah. Can you just say the name of the book again? Just so it's yeah, it's called A Beginner's Guide to Christian Meditation. Cool. Um, this is... Yeah, um, and, it, and if you search like I was just going to say, Taylor like it's... Remington, it should pop up too. Cool. Um, it's awesome. Like there's actually... Looking out there, there's not that I've found lots of... Um, well, maybe there is, but not that I've seen literature that that addresses this topic the way that you're addressing it um so yeah and and i know like i i've gone on deep dive searches and things like that and um you either find stuff that's more in the the contemplative tradition the more conservative um sort of like arenas of of the body of christ and or you get into like you know um the more charismatic prophetic sort of like world so um I think it's really pertinent what what you're doing and and relevant. So appreciate you, man. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll hopefully see you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And for those that are listening, that you know are in the charismatic stuff, like you know, meditation allows you to open up and function in the prophetic and in the word of knowledge and all of these things that you guys see these great people on the stage do all the time, like. When you start to build these practices, the gifts themselves start to appear because you're you're actually awesome. learning to use what in the Christian tradition is called the noose, which is your sensory organ that senses the spirit. Um, and so when, when Paul says, you know, put on the mind of Christ, the mind there in the Greek is the noose. The noose in the ancient Greek time was was the the sensory organ to to feel, hear, and sense the spirit. And so these practices wow. are fine-tuning us to the presence of the spirit and allowing us to move beyond our physical five senses to our spiritual senses, which then allows us to operate in the kingdom at a greater capacity. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, guys. I really, really appreciate it. It's uh, both humbling and encouraging um, the kind of feedback that we've been getting. And it's the reason why, honestly, um, I've continued to release content is just knowing that it is benefiting your walk with Jesus in, in all the ways that it has. So if you are yet to write a review, I would really appreciate um, both if you could just subscribe to the podcast and write a review and share a podcast that's really benefited you, it really helps to kind of get the message out there and facilitate what the Lord is wanting to do through this podcast. Thank you.